friends, my name is Levi Dugan and I am the new pastor of a brand new church plant. And this is the very first sermon in the first week of the first month of the first year of this new church community. And so I get to come to you digitally right now while we work through this process of planting this new church and share with you a message from my heart. And so today, I'm actually going to talk about one simple question, which is why did we name our church what we did? But I'm not going to tell you the name until the end. So you can either you know, fast forward on through or, uh, <laughs> or you could actually listen to the sermon, which is fine. It'll stroke my ego a little bit if you do. And uh, feel free to comment in the social media section. Uh, what I hope you know is that every week we will have a long form message about a scripture uh, because we do want to make sure that anybody who comes alongside us, who joins us in this church community, uh, is fed and hears God's word speaking into their lives. And so I hope that this is a blessing to you, even digitally, as we come to you and have this message. But I guess uh, we ought to start with one simple question. Why another church? I mean, honestly, in Oklahoma, we need another church. Really? Do we? That's kind of a crazy thing to think about. I mean, by all estimates that I could find, there are about 4,000 churches in Oklahoma. You know that you can drive down the street and on every corner, there's at least one church, sometimes four on the same corner. And, uh, you know, if you look at the statistics, 4,000 churches out of 4 million people in Oklahoma, there's a church for every thousand people. That's insane. That means that really everybody who needs or wants a church home should have one. But we know that's not true. We know that most people uh, don't go to church, don't really know Jesus in a meaningful daily sort of relationship kind of way. And we know that uh, whatever we're doing in those 4,000 churches in Oklahoma, sometimes it's working really well. People are coming to know Christ. Their lives are improved. They're spending time in community and, and loving uh, others and serving and loving those who they don't even know. And, and it's working. But we know in a larger than average number of those churches, things are not going well. Uh, attendance is down. The average churchgoer now goes once every three Sundays. And so there is something that needs to be done differently. And that's why I think it's important for us to plant a new kind of church community that doesn't look like churches you have become used to it, maybe if you've been in the past. So I'd like to share with you that vision today as we launch this new church plant to share a message that's both intensely personal, but I think also very important for the whole community as we join together and pursue this mission together. So I have uh, a love for stories. And so I would like to start by telling you a story. And uh, one of the key values and, and, and cultural markers of this church community is that we will become a community of story. We'll tell stories, our own stories, other people's stories, and stories from the Bible so that we can learn about God and learn about each other. And so I want to tell you a story of a, an item on my bucket list. I don't know if you've ever had a bucket list. I bet everybody does. I had things on the bucket list like I really wanted to see Tom Petty live in concert, and that did not get to happen. But I also wanted to see James Taylor live in concert, and I did get to do that. So got to check one thing off. Did I get to check another thing off? But the big thing on my bucket list, the number one thing at the very top 
was to go to Ireland and Scotland. I'd always wanted to go. I mean, as long as I can remember back to the beginning of elementary school, I wanted to go to Ireland and Scotland. And you know, it's not just because I thought it was cool or I thought it was pretty. There was something about it that spoke to me. My grandfather would tell stories of his grandfather who came from Ireland and what they call in America today the potato famine, but really what it was was a persecution of the British uh, against the Irish. They were taking their food and, and spreading it throughout their empire. And so the Irish were starving and my great-great-grandfather, Thomas David, left Ireland and he laid uh, brick roads in Chicago and he laid a railroad track through Illinois and Missouri and down into Kansas. And I, I always joke that I think when he hit the Flint Hills of Kansas, he thought, this looks like home. <laughs> it's green rolling hills and rocky ground. And he thought this would be a great place to stop. And so he took advantage of the Homestead Act in the 1870s, an act that was very beneficial to Euro-American people like me and very harmful to indigenous people who already lived in this land. Uh, but it did bless him and bless our family even at the expense of others. We have to remember that as we tell our stories. But you know, Thomas David lived in a dugout for a while and then built a home and had a family and lots and lots of kids. And one of those kids was my great-grandfather and my grandfather. And my grandfather, Tim, would tell stories uh, about his grandfather. And story became a part of who we were. Stories about Ireland and sailing the seven seas and the jokes that he would tell. So there's something that made me want to go to Ireland, but I really didn't understand it fully until one time late in elementary school. It was the first time that I'd heard Irish folk music. Now, I don't know if you've ever listened to Irish folk music. It's pretty terrible, actually. It's like uh, the singing's not great. They're not classically trained. Uh, the fiddle's not always quite in tune. There's this weird accordion sounding thing. There's this drum that this guy does this to, like rock and roll or hang tin. I don't know. What is that? And so it's strange. It's not like the highest quality music. And I was a musician. But for some reason, when I heard Irish folk music, my heart came alive. Uh, something deep inside of me welled up and wanted to get out. I felt alive. Or what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, might say, uh, I felt my heart strangely warmed. <laughs> I felt like something supernatural was happening when I listened to Irish music. And so it was as if my story became alive when I heard the song. It's important for you to know in our community, not only is story central to who we will be, but so is song. Story and song go together. So anyway, on my bucket list, I wanted to go to Ireland and Scotland, and a couple of years ago, I got the chance to do that. My wife, Marty, and I got a scholarship to go to the Isle of Iona. This is like the, the special founding site, the pilgrimage site of Celtic Christianity. It goes all the way back about 1,600 years. And so we got a chance to go. We flew, and we flew, and we took a bus, and we took a train, and we took a bus, and we took a ferry, and a bus, and a ferry. It was a huge pilgrimage, huge ordeal. And lots of stories came out of that, which you'll no doubt hear over the coming years. But the one I want to tell you today is a story of one thing I did while I was there. One evening, this abbey on the island held a Cayley service. Now, the abbey is about a 1,000 years old. Uh, it had been rebuilt in the 1930s by the Reverend George MacLeod using uh, workers who were out of work in Scotland, and he brought them to the island, and they, 
they renovated and repaired this 10th or 11th century abbey and uh, made it usable again. Now the Iona community operates there, and it's an ecumenical community of all different kinds of Christians who come and live for a season, and they host services. And so one night, I think it was a Wednesday night while we were there, they had a Kaylee service. I'd never been to a Kaylee service, didn't know what it was, didn't even know how to pronounce it. But what happened in that service was we sat, and in the abbey, you sit on the sides and face each other. And in the middle was a table. And at the table, there were people seated. And there was bread and there was juice. And then they started to tell a story. It was a story I was familiar with. I knew immediately it was from Luke chapter 24. Very famous story. The story of two people on the road to Emmaus. Famous because we do the walk to Emmaus in Christian culture now quite often. And so the road to Emmaus story is very famous, but they were telling it in a different way I'd never heard before. They were telling it from the perspective of the people in the story. They weren't just reading the scripture, but they were imagining what it must have been like to be a character in the story. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that story before we move on with my experience. You see, in that story, it was Sunday, just like today. And there were two people walking along the road about seven miles from Jerusalem, where Jesus had just been crucified and buried. And they were walking the seven miles back to Emmaus. And on the road, they were despondent, destitute, depressed, because Jesus had died and was buried. What they didn't know is that morning, a bunch of ladies had gone to the tomb and found Jesus was alive. The tomb was empty. They hadn't heard that news. They'd already left Jerusalem, and they were on their way home, walking the seven miles, no doubt talking and licking their wounds and feeling very sad when a stranger comes up to them and starts talking with them. They don't recognize this stranger as Jesus, who has literally come out of the grave in his body and is walking alongside them on the road to Emmaus. And so they're talking about scripture and and Jesus preaches almost on the road, talks about how the whole Hebrew Bible was talking about this Messiah, this this anointed one, this person who was going to save the world. And These people felt something inside of them, maybe like I felt when I heard Irish music for the first time. Something was welling up inside of them. They knew something was different, but they didn't know this person until they arrived at home. Let me jump back to my story for a second, because what happened in that Kaylee service was that they told this story, and we shared in communion together. We broke bread, and we drank the juice And then we sang our way out of the abbey, and when we walked out of the abbey, people scattered and dispersed. I looked up in the sky, and off to my left was this scotch-colored moon, the biggest moon I'd ever seen, coming up behind the mountains of the island of Mull across the bay. This beautiful, orangey-yellow moon just coming up over the mountains. And straight over my head, I saw the Milky Way which I had never really seen with that grandeur before because I'd never been in a place with skies as dark as Iona. And so I had this moment of this massive scotch-colored moon and the Milky Way galaxy over my head, and I thought for just a moment I caught a glimpse of God. I caught a glimpse of glory. And then as soon as I had that glimpse, it was gone. The scotch-colored moon rose and turned white, And I walked on my way back to the inn for the night. 
But I, I caught a glimpse of God in that moment. It was so interesting to have that experience coming out of that Kaylee service and seeing a glimpse of God in the heavens. It was so powerful. Now I go back to the Emmaus story. Jesus and these two characters, these two friends or family members walking along the road, they get to where they're going. Jesus has no place to stay. He's a stranger to them, remember, but they say, come on in, let's have a meal. We've just walked seven miles. We're hungry, and we know you are too. You see, they practiced the ancient Near Eastern practice of hospitality, This is not something that exists, really, in the modern American mindset. We don't know what it is to invite strangers into our homes, particularly not wandering strangers who are homeless. These two folks, they invite a wandering homeless stranger into their home for a meal. They practice hospitality. If you need to know, in addition to story and song, a key value of who we are as a church community will be hospitality. But you know, an interesting part about the story is something strange happens when they break bread together. It's kind of like the end of one of those movies where all the pieces fall together. Now, I'm going to date myself here. You probably have a better example, but for me, a movie like this would be The Sixth Sense. I know, terrible movie. Bruce Willis was in it. He plays a psychiatrist who's working with a little boy who sees dead people. Yeah, sees dead people, right? So through the whole movie, and I'm going to ruin the ending for you, so be careful. But through the whole movie, this boy is talking to the psychiatrist, and this boy is seeing dead people. And he's talking to the psychiatrist about seeing dead people. That's terrifying. But at the end of the movie, suddenly you notice all the hints that were dropped along the way that show that the psychiatrist was dead, too. Uh, My friends, I think, already knew what was going to happen. They sort of saw all the hints and put all the pieces together. But for me, when I saw it in the movie theater in high school, I thought, whoa, I didn't see it coming. The psychiatrist was dead the whole time. Isn't that crazy? But something happens in this moment that's like that movie where you didn't see it as the movie was going along. But when you look back, suddenly all the pieces come together and you realize everything was there the whole time. And so when they break bread together, when they share a meal together, suddenly their their minds, their hearts go back to a room, an upper room, a second floor room where Jesus breaks bread and passes it around a table and says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes a cup and he passes around the cup of wine and says, drink this. This is the blood of my new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And it's as if when they broke the bread, all that memory flooded back. All that burning heart stuff they had on the road welled up within them and they realized who this person was. This wasn't just Jesus the teacher, but Jesus the risen one, the anointed one, Jesus who is God had appeared before them and broken bread with them. And just like I caught a a glimpse of God walking out the abbey after a Kaylee service in the heavens, they caught a glimpse of God, and then he disappeared. This is the weirdest part of the story. Why does Jesus have to disappear once they recognize him? It's so strange. Suddenly they know who he is, and then he's gone. 
at least physically, gone. Why does that happen? It posits maybe one of the most important questions we have as human beings. What do we do when God seems to have disappeared? I'm sure you've had this experience in your life where you have some trial, some difficulty, some challenge, some horrible thing happens to you, lose a job, broken marriage, broken relationship, you fail at something, your family fails at something, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your cousin, something bad happens, and you can't see God, and you question whether God even exists. It's just a fact that most young people today don't even really start with a posture of believing in God. So they think God has, has disappeared completely from reality. Even members of my own family who are younger think this way, that now it's not likely. And the reason they think that isn't because they don't think it's possible that there's a God. They think that they've seen what Christians do to each other and to others, and they don't want to be a part of it. And they think if that's God who would judge other people, cast other people out of their community, shun other people, hate other people, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I don't blame young people for that. I feel the same way, frankly. But the question is, what do we do? If you believed in God and suddenly you don't feel God anymore, what do you do? And what do you do if you've never believed in God? But you wonder if God is real. What do we do when it seems like God has disappeared? There's a couple of things that are answers to this question right in the text. And I encourage you to go read this. It's in Luke chapter 24. And so go open it up and read this story about these two individuals walking along the road to Emmaus. And look at all the little details and the conversation. It's really a neat story. But there's one way that we know God is with us, and it happens in the breaking of bread. You see, they didn't know God was with them until they practiced hospitality and broke bread together and shared a meal, and suddenly it became clear to them. God was there, right in their midst. And then the second they recognized it, it was as if God had disappeared. But that's kind of the point, right? I mean, even Moses didn't get to look directly at God. Moses caught a glimpse of God. And that's what we do as followers of Christ. We can capture a glimpse of God in the breaking of bread, a glimpse of God in hospitality, a glimpse of God in shared story, a glimpse of God in shared song. When we come together and share with one another, and are vulnerable with one another and love one another by sharing in a meal, by breaking bread and passing juice, by having communion, by loving one another, by laughing together and crying together and not judging one another for our difficult paths, then we capture that glimpse of God. When we bring together friends and strangers and everyone in between, we capture a glimpse of God. So we want to create a church community like this. A church community where it doesn't matter if you're short or tall or anywhere in between. Where it doesn't matter if you're 
skinny or fat or anywhere in between, doesn't matter if you're male or female or anywhere in between, doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or anywhere in between, doesn't matter if you're silly or serious or anywhere in between, doesn't matter if you're savvy or socially awkward or anywhere in between, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or anywhere in between. We want you to join us in the breaking of bread. I want you to join us in this new community. And so because of my story, because I'm planting this new church, we're calling this new church the Cayley Community. After that moment when I caught a glimpse of God in the heavens. Because what we want to do in Cayley Community is capture a glimpse of God every time we meet. Every time we gather, just like those two on the road to Emmaus who stopped and welcomed a stranger in and broke bread together, I'd like to meet, break bread, and capture a glimpse of God. So I hope you'll join me in doing this. Our very first gathering will be the last Sunday of January, January 29th at 6 o'clock p.m., and uh, the place is to be determined. That's my job over the next three or four weeks is to <laughs> figure out where we're going to meet. And we will put that out on social media. But you can follow us on our website, kayleycommunity.org. You can also follow us on social media where we are set up as Kaylee Community. And uh, we will let you know where we're gathering, when we're gathering. We'll start by gathering monthly, but our goal is to get to gathering weekly. And we will also have events throughout each week that involve getting more involved in Bible study and serving others, because we are still going to be a fully inclusive community. And that means being ability inclusive, making sure that whatever we do is inclusive of folks with uh, disabilities, intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities. But we're also just going to be inclusive, period. As I said in the message, doesn't matter if you're left, right, or center. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. You are welcome in this community. You are wanted in this community. And so I pray you'll come and share a meal with us and break bread with us. And God willing, we will capture a glimpse of that divine as we gather together. Amen and amen.